do they continue to pump out the very establishment, very commercial hits, or do they go forward? Do they reinvent themselves, so to speak? friends and welcome back to the Ceylon podcast. This is Wyatt in Nashville, Tennessee. How is everyone doing? It's a real scorcher out there. Hope you guys are staying cool wherever you are. We've got a great show today. Will and John are back to break down the sunflower sessions, so stick around for that. First off, I want to read an email from a listener that was really cool. This is from Vile. Hey Wyatt, I found a Finnish newspaper article talking about the Beach Boys performance here in Finland during the 1969 tour. They were booked to play on two shows, the Kimola's Racetrack and then in Midsummer's Festival in Parola. The boys came four hours late to the motorsport arena and arrived two hours late to Parola since they came from Prague and their plane was searched thoroughly. The arrival to the show was announced shortly and the planners had three days to sell tickets. They managed to sell about 10,000 tickets before the show. The festival was located in the military area. The stage itself was floating above water next to the forest, which is something the boys probably hadn't played before. I'll translate part of the article from the magazine Suosiki about the festival. The popular and expensive Beach Boys are causing a craze in the Finnish people during midsummer and will be ongoing crazy since liquor will be part of it. The boys were meant to be paid 50,000 in U.S. 2023 dollars. The managers and planners were arguing about how much money the boys were meant to get. This led to the festival being postponed several hours. At one point, Irving Goodman, Finland's most popular performer at the time, arrived at the festival and got mad because the Beach Boys were so off from their original schedule, he wanted to cancel the whole show. At one point, Carl Wilson got bored and asked what was going on, and then he was told about the situation. The boys got paid and eventually climbed on the stage around midnight. Midsummer in Finland is the brightest day in the year. It will become a little dark, but during night, there's still light outside. So the original set was meant to last one hour and 30 minutes, but it stretched out to three hours. The interview would say the boys were amazed to play in front of a forest and to be able to see even though it was midnight. One magazine wrote how the set list had some older songs they'd heard, which had the good old Beach Boys rhythms. Vexi Salmi commented how the Beach Boys were better than he had expected. The world's top band with many billboard-topping songs gave a really good performance. By the way, one more thing to add. Carl Wilson asked Irvin Goodman 
to play before and after them, but Goodman got mad since the boys were late. Vile, I appreciate that so much, man. What a cool story. Thank you for translating that. I love hearing about how the guys were received in Europe at that time. It's such a contrast to their public perception here in the States. Huge shout out to the sale on Discord where I connected with Vile and many other listeners. Please go check that out. It's a fun community. We'd love to have you. There's a link in the show notes. Also, a big shout out to the newest patrons of the show, Josh Tonsfeldt. Paul Clifford, and Joseph White. We love you! You guys are keeping the show running. I really appreciate your contributions and support, and you get bonus episodes, so please check it out if you guys want to help support the show. We've got a lot more fun stuff on the way. I recently started a three-part series where I traverse all the various Beach Boys features on other artists' songs. Some of that is completely wild and unexpected, but it's been really fun www.patreon.com slash sale on if you want to learn more. So last time we left off with Breakaway, a song that was released as a single in 1969. And... After that, the Beach Boys continued to work on their last album on Capitol Records, which was now very late. And last episode, we talked about a few songs that they worked on for that album, which all ended up on the Sunflower album. Uh, But we're going to go back and talk about them a little bit more because I think we skimmed over some details. Yeah, so this is kind of like, I don't know if that was sort of like Sunflower 0.5, this is like Sunflower Part 1 or Sunflower part 1.5 or you know it's some, somewhere in the middle of that <laughs> yeah what what people think of as the sunflower era is really about a, a year and a half worth of music that was created for two different labels and a few different albums that all ended up together yeah it's hot on the same album it's, it's hard trying to find an order to talk about all, all this in so i guess we kind of split it up into the things that didn't end up on sunflower and the things that are going to end up on sunflower even though we already talked about got to know the woman which um, I guess it's kind of like the less important of the of the songs, if you um, if you want to kind of break them up. So, I, th- I think now uh, the next thing to talk about is "Forever" by Dennis. Yes, Dennis Wilson and Greg Jacobson. What can we say about "Forever"? <laughs> well, musically, I'd say this is the first big Dennis Wilson song because I mean, with the music that we've been talking about so far. Uh, we had the the Brian Wilson collaboration, Little Bird, and we had Never Learn Not to Love, and then we had a few more songs that we talked about, San Miguel and Celebrate the News, as well as Got to Know the, the Woman, uh, two of which, well, one of which didn't come out at the time, one of which was a B-side, and one of which was kind of a minor album track, but Forever is a song that really could have been I think it really could have been a successful A side for the Beach Boys. Yeah, and it should have been. And this is this song really feels like Dennis's sort of like big breakthrough as a songwriter. It's his first like serious um sort of big piece of work. Yeah, first serious big piece of work that he had written on his own that wasn't uh, that that sort of stood up to the quality of Brian's songs. Yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, the stuff he's done before that like San Miguel and Celebrate the News is is really good and Be with me as well, but this is kind of like they all feel like sort of you know this is the first one that feels like a sort of cla- like classic that he's um 
done sort of just of his own yeah, and it's, volition. Like it's all sort of been been leading up to this, and this is also a kind of a, a Beach Boy standard. This is still played at Beach Boys concerts. It's a fan favorite. All the all the other Beach Boys talk is like have this as their favorite Dennis song, apart from Brian who chooses yeah. San Miguel. I think he's the only. Um, oh no, I think Al said uh, Barbara is his favorite one. So we've got some. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, but, that's but really Mike, Mike and Bruce have uh, said Forever is their their definitive Dennis song, and it really is sort of like Dennis's staple. You know, the way Call and has God only knows and that sort of thing. Yeah, and this, I mean, well, later Dennis's signature song would be "You Are So Beautiful," but for a while this was his big. This was his feature at, at Beach Boys concerts, and this is what. I don't know. This was like a signature song for quite a while. Yeah. And it had a long sort of like gestation period. Um, they worked on it in the first half of 69. They went back to it later in the year to finish it off. And then it didn't end up getting released until obviously until the Sunflower album in late August, which was like a whole year and a half after they started recording it. It's like, it's like not that much longer. Um, the smile stuff coming out on 2020 than like between forever being started and when it actually ended up getting released. Well, that's that's interesting. Yeah, that's a that's a way to put it in perspective. And it was a B-side to Cool Cool Water, and then they started doing it, um, you know, live in '71. They, they, it took a while for them to realize what they had with this song. Yeah, yeah, I'd I'd say so as well. So this is another track. The Beach Boys in this period of time were not using the home studio because it was not in regular use. It may have been kind of non-existent at the time. Yeah, we're not really sure so what this, this, the situation there is, but they were basically using like the last of their capital money to use whatever studios they wanted and whatever musicians they wanted to kind of splash on these tracks and get ambitious without Brian. Yeah, so these tracks were recorded all over Hollywood, and this track in particular was done at Gold Star. So let's talk about the um, the arrangement and the uh, and the recording. Okay, so Doc Siegel um, was the engineer at Goldstar who engineered most of this stuff, and Steve Desper was kind of like a sort of co-engineer at all these sessions. I mean, Desper at this point was like a real staple of the band, more than any other engineer they'd had at this point. You know, like Chuck Britz and stuff, obviously worked with them a lot, but Desper like worked for the Beach Boys and he came with them everywhere to all of the sessions. Um, so even though when, when they're doing these sessions at other studios, they'd always be like a sort of house engineer running things, but Desper was like there to consult on everything and um so mm -hmm. yeah um so the bit's a basic track for this they had a few session musicians and a few beach boys it started off with dennis playing drums uh, bruce is there on attack piano carl and session guy mike anthony playing acoustic guitars laurets on fender bass and gene Esty is on vibraphone but then after a few takes like halfway into the session they switched it around a bit so dennis is playing the piano alongside bruce and gene Estes is on drums um, and then a day later, also a gold star, they went back and added some more stuff, including Carl, like doubling his acoustic guitar. Daryl Dragon was there playing the vibraphone, Frank Capo on timpani, Red Rhodes on this like really pretty steel guitar part. And uh, uh, Daryl Dragon did like a sort of quite simple string arrangement for this with a few violinists and uh, a string bass. And that, and that was kind of like uh, that, that track as it stands at that point, is uh, on the Feel Flows box set in like an abridged form. 
Yeah, that steel guitar intro is kind of the hook of the whole song. I think that's really a, an important part of the arrangement, and they still, that's still just such an integral part of it. I wonder how much Dennis was sort of arranging this, but then again, Daryl Dragon said that he essentially produced this track. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting quote. He said that he uh, would say he almost produced that one. Um, oh no, sorry, <laughs> he said that he would almost say that he produced it. Um, but he wasn't on the first session. I think, actually, no, I, th- I think Dennis did like address him at one point. He says his name, but he wasn't playing on it. So I think Daryl, you know, did the, the string arrangement and probably kind of came up with steel guitar and vibe spots and stuff. But um, yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting at this point. Dennis was still sort of collaborating with Carl a lot in the studio. He would get, you know, when Celebrate the News came out, it would say produced by Dennis Wilson, but really Dennis was working with Carl and the other Beach Boys a lot on this <laughs> stuff. Um, it's quite a sort of simple arrangement, but it's really sort of, I don't know, it's, it's very pretty and, and effective with the acoustic guitar-based sort of thing. Well, of course, Dennis and Daryl would become really close collaborators in later years when Dennis was working on his solo album that didn't end up happening until years after that. But yeah, at this point, Carl is almost like a musical partner. And Carl was kind of that to everyone at this time. He was just this is a weird era of the Beach Boys where every Beach Boy except for Mike was sort of doing their own thing in the studio because of Brian's absence and Carl was kind of the unifier. Yeah, they're all teaming up with each other in sort of like unexpected combinations. Yeah, Dennis had been writing and he of course learned everything from Brian and uh, the other Beach Boys. Uh, Bruce had obviously experienced before the Beach Boys, but Al was doing his thing with Loop De Loop at the time. And Carl was there. I think he was essentially there in the studio whenever they were working. Kind of the one... Pretty much. Apart from, um, there was that one that um, didn't really talk about last time, but there's that early version of San Miguel that they tried recording in Capitol uh, that they didn't use. But that one was actually, it was just piano and guitar, but the guitar on that was Al. Uh, it was just Dennis and Al working on that by themselves, which is kind of a strange, right. unexpected little combination. And you find, you find that a lot, like Al was there when they were recording San Miguel, just in the booth, giving feedback, and um, yeah, there's all sorts of like team-ups on this stuff. Bruce is playing on, on a lot of these tracks. Carl pretty much kind of like leads the session whenever he's playing, he's always doing like counting in and stuff, because he had probably the best sense of time of all of them. Um, so yeah, there was all mm-hmm. sort of like just helping each other out, it was like a real group effort at this point. Um, so anyway, the track at that point is kind of a finished arrangement in itself. But then on March 17th, they had, you know, Dennis has a habit at this point of he sort of just builds tracks up and up and up and changes his mind and has new ideas. It's a little bit like more of a loose process than Brian. Um, Loop de Loop was the same thing and Sam Miguel and, you know, like session by session, they'd kind of like have new ideas and go back to the studio and add more stuff on top of the arrangement and build it as, as they go, which is quite different to the way Brian used to work. Yeah, a lot more experimental rather than Definitely. planned and, and just worked out really quickly. So there's a session on March 17th where they uh, kind of like took the track in a quite a different direction where like a lot of stuff gets added that is sort of buried in the final mix, but it was given like a reduction mix with that sort of slappy effect applied to the drums. Um, and then on top of that they added like a tambourine, an electric guitar, um, and then there's all these like, these synthesizer parts which you really don't um, notice much when you 
listen to forever like you wouldn't think of it as a song that's covered in like Moog synthesizers but it's got like three different things going on in there and they ended up getting buried but like it, it's almost like this session they decided to go for like a sort of spacey sort of like twist to the to the track that ended up sort of being played down in the final mix um but paul beaver was there um like the the moog programmer and th these parts like you can hear them if you kind of squint for it there's sort of like these sustained like pretty sort of notes and there's like all these kind of spacey arpeggios that you can still kind of make out when you listen to it it's interesting it's just kind of strange that um, like this early on, you don't think of the Beach Boys as being, you know, pioneers in, in, in the synthesizer, but Dennis was really using it a lot on these tracks and he sort of had a go at just turning Transform in this kind of like quite down to earth acoustic -y based track into a real sort of spacey, soft, electronic sort of thing that was was sort of played down. Yeah, and they they really go for that sound in the next song we'll talk about, but uh, yeah, a lot of experimentation with the synthesizer at this time, not so in your face as, you know, Beach Boys Love You or or anything like that, but it's usually in the background, just experimenting with uh, new sounds that were available at the time. Really, it, it, it seems like Dennis was the most experimental of the Beach Boys. Yeah, but, I mean... Or at least he was the least focused. <laughs> that's another way to say it. Yeah, that's one way. I mean, like, Brian was the last one to get to the synthesizer, even though he became sort of, like, the most synonymous with it. He was the one who kind of, like, got the most sort of, like, obvious with it, I guess. But Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Carl and Dennis and even Al um, on some loop-de-loop -loop stuff were all kind of experimenting with synthesizers, like, like, a long time before Brian got there. And they had access to this stuff still using session musicians and all these Hollywood studios before they went back to the, um, to the Bellagio road home studio. Okay. So, so that's basically the track. And then they, um, did like another reduction mix and did the vocals, but we don't know when the vocals were really done on this song. These next three songs we're going to talk about, they might've like been later in the year when they were working on the sunflower stuff properly, but we're not really sure. But anyway, um, the vocals are when Brian got involved, which is kind of, um, I think Al's talked about this. Yeah, I've got an Al quote written down here where um, basically Brian got drawn into the song and this is the first thing that we know of in 69 where Brian is kind of gets back involved with the others in the band other than Breakaway and Brian uh, sort of did like the vocal arrangement for Forever and it's just the Wilson Brothers singing on it at first. Yeah, it's a nice, nice, simple vocal arrangement. And then that bridge, I don't know if Dennis had anything planned there initially, but Brian and Carl both just kind of like make up their own little parts over the top of it. Oh, it's, yeah. It's really nice. There's um, the 73 interview on Dr. Demento where they're talking about like examples of when they plan things for sort of just making it up on the spot. And Carl uses the forever bridges, an example of one where they sort of just get in front of the microphone and then see what happens. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Uh, you really wonder how much Dennis had thought ahead with songs like this and how he imagined them to sound, but I don't really think that he did that. I think he just kind of 
went with the flow. So if Brian offered to get involved or if Dennis asked Brian to get involved, he would totally trust everything that Brian added to the track. Yeah, it's a really nice vocal arrangement. I know that Daryl Dragon said it didn't fit the track that they did or something like that, but... He thought the song didn't really lend itself to all the Beach Boys harmonies and because Dennis was kind of his own thing, but I think the Beach Boys vocals on this all kind of like really make well, it and elevate it to a new level. Exactly, yeah, it's a Beach Boys song, but I think the, vo the vocals really sort of elevate it to a new, to another level. And the fact that it's all kind of a family thing is what um, makes it kind of really... I don't know, it makes it quite moving as well. It's the first time we've had that in, in a while. So Dennis initially had a different lead vocal on this track with some alternate lyrics that you can hear on the Feel Flows box set. And Spring used but, those lyrics when they did their version. Yeah, that's true. That's on the yeah, that's on the Spring album. That's uh, the trivia for forever. <laughs> yeah, at some point in the future, Dennis changed his lead vocal and Mike added a uh, a bass vocal, which is really nice. And be forever. Yeah, I think my favorite part of this song is the ending. Oh yeah, Br Brian's vocal on, Brian does this vocal on the tag and it's like, I think it's one of my favorite moments um, in the whole Sunflower album. It's just that little lead yeah, vocal. Yeah, because you does. rarely get any, you rarely get any Brian Wilson lead vocals because he's just having Carl and Mike sing all his songs. So yeah, but it's, it's so good that one little part he does at the end. It's, it, it's like, yeah. It's, he sounds like, I don't know, he sounds like a, like a, almost like a little child, almost, the way he sings it. <laughs> it's, it's, it really gets me in the, in the feelings. Yeah, and it's one of the only moments on the album where it's Brian's voice unobscured. And it's, and it's actually featuring him. I know he has leads in parts of Add Some Music, but, oh, and Cool Cool Water as well. But, but really, outside of that, you don't get much. And even on all these outtakes as well. And I love in the acapella mix when he when he has that scream at the end. <laughs> oh yeah, that's fun. <laughs> I like that part. No man, you know, let me hear some of that. Anything else to say about this song? I don't know. I just I think it's a really, I just think it's a really good song. I've I've seen some. Like a little bit of criticism of it, just the fact that it's quite simple. It's just that sort of repeating, sort of descending chord progression. But I think that's what what makes it so strong. It's kind of like it's it's just simple and direct, and it's I don't know. It's it's it is a little bit more Briany than Dennis's later stuff, but it's it's very firmly a Dennis Wilson song. Brian the Brian wouldn't have written. Um, and yeah, it's it's his first sort of big moment in the Beach Boys as a songwriter and 
It's a great vocal arrangement and really sort of touching vocals from all of them. The lyrics are, bit, are kind of a bit ambiguous at the end, you know, some I'm going away but not forever thing. I'm not really sure what that's supposed to mean, but it sounds kind of like, <laughs> it kind of sounds meaningful in the moment. And I guess that's kind of what what matters. Um, yeah, it's a lot It's a lot more about the overall feeling with Dennis' songs than what the actual lyrics mean. I know that I think I've talked to Steve Bonilla and he's kind of critical of the song just because that line comes out of nowhere. Yeah, but... It's just this love song and then you get this, I'm going away. But it, it hits you. <laughs> it's it, kind of random. It, it is random, but it, it hits you like emotionally and that's kind of the point. Um, yeah, I know that Brian has said that that line hits him emotionally because Dennis is dead obviously <laughs> obviously yeah <laughs> like how he underscored that um yeah great great song and it and uh you know love and mercy is kind of quite similar in the in the core progression to this as well oh yeah it's, it's the same uh descending kind of trick that they both use yeah so it's sort of obviously stuck with brian and i don't know this is a really uh, a important song in the canon especially uh the john stamus stamus version <laughs> that's, a, that's a real that's a real significant moment in the Beach Boys story very um, and yeah so they sat on this thing they were considering it Bruce said in an interview in 1970 that they were thinking about it making it a single for some reason they didn't and they ended up putting it out as the B-side to Cool Cool Water which really should have been the other way around they did that a lot in this era like as, as we go through they're gonna like they do so many stupid singles in the early 70s them where this this really should have just been like put out as a single in 1969 and like they it, they had so much good material that they sat on and they could have used um that would have been more appropriate than like tears in the morning and add some music even though i like add some music notice that i didn't say i like tears in the morning but we, we'll get to that um <laughs> so, but it, yeah there's some there's some strange a-side release choices that sometimes feel more like politics than actual well thought out decisions about what would be most commercial and most beneficial for the band. Yeah. One more thing on forever before we move on is I just remembered, I think it was uh Karen Lamb said that it was about 1976 or something. Uh, there, there was this ballet uh, that Dennis was invited to where they performed like, um, did like a performance to forever and she said that that was like the most like proud moment that he had as a songwriter seeing that so that's nice it's just i like that he, he this obviously stuck with him and he was still fond of the song years later and it he got to that is nice yeah so anyway next we're gonna do all i want to do this might be my favorite song on sunflower this is a really good one yeah mine too um, just recently, yeah, I think it might have overtaken Cool Cool Water for me, just recently. Oh, you just reminded me that Cool Cool Water exists. No, this is, this is, <laughs> Cool Cool Water is number one. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> for <enough>. me. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, okay, so we'll go back to the 2020 sessions. This was originally a song that was written, like, after Mike came back from India and he was feeling very, sort of, spiritual and it's a TM-influenced type of thing and, uh, you know, it has the sitar and stuff and... So they recorded it in on um, May 24th, 1968 at Valentine. And then later in the year, they were going to consider it. They were sort of, it was on a list of songs that they were thinking about putting on 2020. And uh, there's a note that Mike and Carl were apparently supposed to be the lead vocalists at that point. 
So this, this early track that was released on the 2018 Wake the World compilation was done, um, it was quite sort of loose and something's quite different about it to the final one on Sunflower. The early takes were Brian playing the rocks chord, Carl on electric guitar, strumming a sort of general rhythm, Al playing bass and Dennis on drums, and they were like in the session they were clearly going for a sort of spacey, dreamy sound from the beginning, like quite similar to what ends up happening on Sunflower, but you know, they hadn't, they hadn't quite technically realized what, um, how to sort of accomplish that. And throughout the session, they were kind of like playing with reverb and distortion on the keyboard and the drums, and it sounds like they were recording in like a cavern. Um, Dennis left at some point, so the final takes uh, Brian on the drums instead, and then they overdubbed the rocks accord and some extra six string bass. Um, with all that sort of like wacky delay effect um, that's going on in the mix that was released, that's actually just printed straight to tape, so it's clearly like an, clearly like an intentional thing from the beginning. And then they, probably the most like significant, well, recognizable thing about that track is there's a star on it. They added another overdub with a sitar and the 12 string guitar. And it sounds like uh, that's probably Carl playing the sitar on, on that track with Al on the 12 string. And it's quite loose, it's very like, almost feels kind of gimmicky. It's the only time Brian's ever used a sitar in one of his productions. Um, but yeah, it's that sort of like Indian spacey sort of sound. And so, so that was left on the shelf. It was a Brian and Mike song um, that was just sort of like floating in the ether for a while. And then in 1969 in March, they decided to bring this back and record a new version of it for the new album. But Brian wasn't involved in this at, at first. It was a session that was like quite uniquely uh, produced by Carl, working on his own at Gold Star with a load of session musicians. This is March 19, 1969, a couple of weeks before Breakaway. And yeah, this is a, a, the first time we've ever had a session like this where Carl is the, just the producer on his own with no other Beach Boys there. It's just Steve Desperus is only the only person from his camp, I guess, um, on it. And Carl is also... On the session, played the roxichord, the, the like you know the main like keyboard throughout this thing, which we don't think of Carl as a keyboard player until this point, but he starts doing it a little bit more often as we go into the seventies. Until eventually, on Holland, he's kind of like the main piano player in the group for a while, and he loves to play like the Will It's Alive and stuff. Um, but he's basically just been Brian on the session. He's taken Brian's song, and since Brian doesn't want to finish it, he's gone in the studio and decided to make it happen his own way, and. Uh, Alongside him, we've got Mike Melvoin on uh, piano, sort of blending in with the rocks accord, Al Casey on rhythm guitar, Jimmy Bond on upright bass, Gene Estes on cabasa, and Hal Blaine on drums. And the arrangement, it's quite like simple. It's similar in a way to the track Brian did, but it's more up tempo. It's um, a lot kind of like more together, and it's I don't know, it's kind of less gentle. The other, the old one was like very soft and slow and loose this one it's got like a very sort of like hard drum beat throughout it but it's like i've heard some people think that like maybe it's a drum machine or something because it sounds like quite mechanical almost the way it's got that kind of like thing between the percussion and the drums and it's very sort of like you know it's, it's got like the same pattern throughout the whole thing and it's a, it's a real sort of like electronic kind of track it's very ahead of its time this thing yeah, it's it's really interesting to see Carl kind of step up as a as a producer on his own session. Uh, when that really was not the case, usually there was Dennis there because it was a Dennis song. There was Brian there because it was his song, or Bruce or Al. And this is Brian's song, but you know, obviously Carl 
could remember it well enough to do this session and he has I, I agree it's a lot more professional sounding of a of a track with all the wrecking crew players and you have that kind of droning um drum beat with the kibasa mm. and the drums and um they did a really cool effect on this song that steve desper has described but the main keyboard the roxichord was overdubbed twice so there's three of them on the final track and on one of them it's slightly detuned and they did that by by using a vso on the on the tape machine and then you get this and i think that there's also some sort of compressor on it either in the mix or on the on the tape but yeah you get this like pumping like synthy effect that's really had me wondering for years how they did that it's so, yeah it sounds in 1969 so, it sounds so like incredibly ahead of its time and i mean this eventually came out in in august 1970 but like this is recorded in march 1969 and it's already there and it sounds like so it sounds decades ahead of its time it sounds like something from like the 90s really yeah this, uh this is i know that people cite the the delay effect on the drum intro and do it again as steve desper's kind of big breakout moment and it is it really is but for me this is where he's really a really important creative producer uh within the beach boys circle and i don't know how much of this was carl and how much of it was desper but the two of them together really created a a really advanced sounding track and that that early version that we talked about is sort of a a little bit of a failed attempt at a sort of dreamy soundscape to accompany the the song but this is really well done this is like a really tight sounding spacey track yeah and all with you know instruments and and uh you know stuff that was available in 1969 there is no synthesizer on this song it's all just acoustic instruments and the uh and a regular roxichord keyboard it's really cool yeah um so i mean more to say about that but i'll talk about the rest of what's on the track first they did a reduction yeah. mix to like a second generation eight track which is where a lot of that sort of like reverb and and the limiting on the keyboards was added to make it sort of like you know when you can hear a little bit of the session on the feel flows box where the piano is quite prominent and the rock chord on its own like the first one it's quite, quite a sort of like bright sort of hard-hitting sound and the way they mixed it and sort of softens it down and makes it sort of like quite floaty um and from yeah. there, they added some more instruments. Not quite sure who played all of these different parts, so I'm not going to go into all that just yet. But Jimmy Bond played electric bass on this. He was mostly known as an, as a string bassist, but he obviously did play like a Fender bass sometimes when he had to on sessions. So he added that, and it's it's a really great bass tone. It's like a very clicky, like punchy. It's one of my favorite bass sounds on a Beach Boys song. And there's also a fuzz bass that comes in later, which sounds like a fantastic as well. There's, uh, it's quite hard to hear this, like this ratchet, that sort of like sc scraping, like turning sound that you can hear kind of at the edge of hearing. Um, there's a 12 string guitar, just like in the original version, playing that riff throughout the whole thing. And there's also an electric sitar as well, which is the only time I know of that on a Beach Boys song. The electric sitar was made by Dan Electro and it's kind of like a, I mean, it looks like a guitar, but it, it sounds like a sort of twangy guitar, um, twangy sitar type thing, just to sort of like capitalize on that craze. But for rock musicians that wanted to, you know, that wanted to play something that felt a bit more familiar. Um, and that gets kind of buried in the track. You can hear, you kind of have to squint for it. And it's playing sort of like a harmony to the main 12 string part, 
that isn't isn't too audible, but it gives that kind of like kind of twangy, I don't know, I guess Indian flavor to it. So yeah, this this track, it's um, like you know, you know, like you said, it's it's creates this sort of like incredible ahead of its time, spacey, synthy sounding dreamscape with nothing but like organic instruments. And it's Steve Desper and Carl really kind of like it's not just Carl going into the studio and doing what Brian would have done. Um, you know, there, there's there's elements of that, but Carl's really sort of like carving out his own sort of niche and production style here that it takes a while for him to follow up on it, but like it's definitely paving the road for like Long Promise Road and, and Feel Flows in a way. Some of the sounds yes, in here. Yes, definitely. And those are, are sort of, I always think of Feel Flows as sort of a successor to this with all its, all of its spacey keyboard as well. Yeah, totally, totally. And him and Desper like form this really close relationship at this point as well. They're like kind of partners in crime. Desper worked with Carl more than any of the other Beach Boys because Carl was kind of like, you know, I think he was the most technically interested. He was the one who would mm-hmm. organize everything and be there for all of it. So naturally, him and Desper, you know, had this sort of like closest rapport of them. And Carl would be the one who would sit through the mixes, and you know, he would be interested in all of this stuff because Brian wanted to get in and create fast and get out and leave that stuff to others well, well the car really liked the sort of like exploring kind of like the technical side of what you could do and paying a lot of attention to his mixes so this is this is kind of like them teaming up on this I mean you can't Doc Siegel was the engineer at Goldstar on this as well but you know all that echoey stuff is came came from Dasper um, so yeah so, so this, they made this really cool track and the vocals or another one where we, we're not quite sure when they did the vocals on this until Dasper, you know, reveals dates from his studio journal, but that's going to be a mystery. We don't know if it's shortly after the track, when around the time <laughs> of they're working on Breakaway, or if it was later in the year when they start to work on the other Sunflower Sessions. But like Forever, Brian got enticed into taking part in the vocals in this track, and like Forever, it seems Brian also arranged all of the vocals in this. Um, so it kind of like, it, you know, it got came back into the fold and uh, reclaimed this as a, as a Brian song. Unlike Loop De Loop, which uh, Brian kind of got wind of what Al was doing and was like, no thanks, I don't want to be part of that. <laughs> this this yeah, one obviously called it a, a job. He stayed away from that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, this one obviously called it a job that that Brian Brian liked this track and he decided to get back involved with it. Well, on, on this track, it, you know, you said that Carl was not exactly doing what Brian just would have done because Brian had already done a version of this and he didn't, he didn't do all this. He didn't make it sound like this. He didn't do the experimentation with detuning different keyboards and layering the, them on top of each other. Uh, this is kind of Carl going where Brian didn't want to go at the time. And... Like you said, I don't know if, if they did the vocals right after or if this was way later when Brian was kind of back with the Beach Boys. But uh, it's, it's possible he just kind of didn't feel like recording his songs uh, or just going to the studio and doing tracks. We've heard from Desper a lot of the time that Carl would kind of like, Brian would be there and stuff like through Carl. Like Carl would kind of like either literally get Brian's suggestions and talk to him or, you know, um, Carl would kind of just like channel the things that Brian would probably do because he was the closest to Brian musically and sort of like being around him in the studio. Um, but yeah, at this point, Brian had so many songs, especially in the last year when he kind of like fell out of consistent recording. He had all those things he recorded for Sunflower, like, you know, his arrangement of Old Man River and this Can't Wait Too Long and, and Walkin' and Sail Playing Song, which became Loop De Loop. And he had other things as well sitting around like 
Mastery Love, which we'll talk about eventually, and Earthquake Time, and Grateful Away for Little Children. Um, so yeah, it's it's. I, I really wish Carl had just like done a Cell Plane song version by himself. Like, I I, I know Al had his fun <laughs> loop, loop, it, loop to loop. <laughs> it would have, but it would have been so good if like Carl, you know, considering this track, if Carl had been the one to take on Cell Plane song. But oh well. Mm. Yeah, anyway, we probably yeah, would have had an equally get back involved. spacey, <laughs> interesting track. <laughs> so and eventually Brian did get back involved with the vocals we've talked about how great the track is for this but the vocals are like like rise to the occasion of the track on this one and it, there's some of the best singing the Beach Boys have ever done on like anything I think Yeah, and I, I also really like Mike's lyrics on this song. I think these are some of his best lyrics because he has some really good lines in there. Like, oh yeah, let these little words of love become the lamps that light your way. Just really cool, that, clever little lines like that. Yeah, that's such a good, it's such a good line. It's uh, one of these ones like these one of these sort of perfect Brian and Mike collaborations, uh, where, where Mike sort of like, I don't know, he really sort of like rises to the music and a bit like Good Vibrations where he elevates it. Um, yeah, you almost sort of wish that they were writing more together at this time because Brian's writing was sort of sporadic and he was doing... He was kind of jumping around with different Beach Boys. He he wrote quite a bit with Carl yeah. in 68. Obviously for Friends, he got everyone involved because Mike wasn't around. But this is one of my favorite Wilson Love compositions. But careful what you wish for because soon we're going to have to talk about when girls get together. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, You know, you anyway. make a good point there. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, back to this song. Um, this is this is '68 when Mike was still everything he did was still good. So you know we 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 caught this song. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, Brian's dismissed this song in a record collector interview where he said this was one of those songs that had a nice chord pattern, but I think it was a boring song and I thought it wasn't done right. I thought it should have been softer with box guitars, um, which is interesting because I mean it, it does have a nice chord pattern, but I don't think it's a boring song at all. Um, but he thinks it should have been softer with box guitars. Well, like he means acoustic, like jazz box guitars. Um, but he didn't do that in his original version in '68. It's much more similar to what Carl ended up doing with this track. It sounds kind of sounds like what he wants it to sound like is like forever. It's almost like that's what mm. he, the sound that he retroactively wanted for this song. But I, yeah, I think it's a really good song, and I think you know when it takes off into that um, "Sure Is the Sun." melodies when it really like gets going there's like really pretty melodies so like a lot of them in this and like the chord changes on the on the um my love is burning brightly kind of chorus are just like phenomenal yeah okay so, so the backing vocals dennis is the only beach boy who's not on this song he didn't sing on it and uh it's a uh, arrangement of like top to bottom Bruce sings the highest part then it's Carl Brian's in the middle but he's still singing quite high up on this and then we've got Al and Mike and do you want to talk about the vocal arrangement a little because you know your harmony stuff more than I do so there's that note in 68 that said Carl and Mike were going to sing the song I don't know which parts Carl would have sung but Mike is essentially the sole lead vocalist on this track besides 
the My Love is Burning Brightly parts, which are a two-part harmony. You have Brian singing the higher part and uh, Mike singing the, the melody. And then a lot of this song are just, it's just little vamps where you have all of those Beach Boys singing different melodies on top of each other with different words. And it's really cool. Uh, you have Bruce singing the title, All I Want to Do, up high. You have Al kind of doing this, uh, you know, backing part. Carl sings this line, which is really hard to hear in the background of the song. He sings, If you get lonely in the night, I'd come and be with you. I feel like that's that's a really good line. Brian starts to have these lyrics that just kind of sit in the background, and you really can't tell what they are until you really listen for them. And, uh, and then Brian and Mike also repeat the words uh, a little bit lower, and Steve Desper's, you know, all, all the effects he put on he puts on this track, like all the reverb and all the delay, it, it really works mm, well together. Yeah. You'd think that it was one person primarily behind the whole song, rather than them working separately, but together on this. quite sort of like almost i mean did you say at some point i can't remember where this is but didn't you say this like some of the the background vocals there's like a bit with like a, the notes like half a step apart so it sounds kind of like quite dissonant i can't remember if that was this song but oh yeah yeah it's it's um what al's singing i think when he doubled it he he sings it just a half step apart oh, so there's this right right this dissonance on it yeah so you get that in um you get that in breakaway as well so that's kind of a new thing to brian's vocal arrangements and whether or not it was intentional if it was just out double himself but you do get that like with the you know when <laughs> you know when, when the fuzz bass comes in and you get the dit dits over the other vocals it's kind of like a sort of like i know again like spacey is the word that i think of it sounds like almost dissonant but it's still really pretty and for such like a sort of gentle song that like fuzz bass coming in it sounds like almost menacing but it manages to I don't know, it's it's an unusual choice there, but it, it manages to fit the mood of it perfectly. Um, I love um, the fade out on this as well, when it, like, it, it's, you know, Brian repeats the, the chorus over and over again, well, Brian and Mike, and it's kind of like Brian's floating off to the side and, the, like, the delay gets, like, kind of more and more pushed further and further. And I think Desper wrote in his uh, study video that him and Carl sort of discussed this as kind of like a feeling of like unresolved sort of like longing at the end of the song. And you really sort of feel that with the way it kind of like just sort of spaces further and further out as it as it fades. Um, we've got to talk about... Yeah, and, and musically it doesn't resolve either. It's just... Exactly, yeah. It's it keeps, like the, goes back the, to the opening phrase and, before it, it resolves. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool the way the, the track and the vocals come together on this. And we've, we've got to talk about Brian, sorry, not Brian, uh, Mike's lead vocal as well, which has sort of like been reclaimed by Mike in recent years uh, with all the fans sort of, you know, in, in modern times, it's it's really been become a fan favorite when it was quite obscure for a long time because it sounds so modern and it's like the rest of the world's finally caught up with what they were doing in 1969. Um, so Mike started doing this at uh, some live sets um, and he's, he's kind of talked about it a little because 
because Brian was quite dismissive of this. There's a, like a hilarious other part to the Brian quote in Record Collector that you can read out if you want in a second. But um, yeah, Mike's lead vocal in the song is fantastic. It's very, it's quite uncharacteristic of him. It's uh, it's sort of a gentle Mike vocal. It's it's like a nasal Mike vocal though. It's not like his uh, Aren't You Glad type thing. It's more like he sounds like young and he's he's basically. It, this was originally supposed to be a duet for Mike and Carl. And he hit some notes in this mic that he wouldn't normally go for unless it was kind of like a, on a rock type tune. Um, and it, yeah, it's just like, it's very not in his usual sort of ballpark and he does a, an incredible job on it. He sounds really soulful and he even does like a little sort of falsetto bit on the um, general thought comes in my mind line where he, he, uh, he, he kind of like, he manages to get up that, which he never does. You never hear Mike do that sort of vocal, but... Yeah, that's a rare, rare moment, but he sounds really great on this song. Yeah, and uh, I remember there was a, like an owl quote where he said that like, uh, Mike sounds very young, I can see why people like this song. Like, like as if that would be the reason people like it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's again, it's great to have Brian and Mike doing that two-part harmony in the chorus, you know, Mike gets a lot of praise for the way he sounds on this, but Brian, I think, does a, like a fantastic vocal on the chorus as well. You don't get a lot of really strong high vocals from him at this time like this one. And it's just that perfect sort of contrast, like the sort of cutting, shrill kind of thing he has there. And then Carl sounds like amazing on his little part in the chorus. Bruce is doing his thing perfectly. It's just like, yeah, when you listen to the acapella mix of this that's on Feel Flows, when they're kind of like all singing the overlapping melodies at the end and there's so much stuff going on like it's whenever i listen to that i'm convinced that this is like oh this is the greatest thing ever recorded <laughs> and then and then i i have to wake up um but yeah it's just a i think this is just like an incredible piece of work and it's so odd to me that like the beach boys never talk about this apart from mike who's who's the only one that sort of like reclaimed this song it's just it, it's not brought up i think it should have been like a single really it could have been it's a, it's got that much like melodic sort of hookiness to it and and a relatable sentiment and a great melody and it doesn't you know I, d I don't know why this wasn't a huge song for so long i think it's one of the best things the beach boys ever recorded like like one of the very very best yeah it's it's sort of got this spacey psychedelic thing which was in line with what was popular at the time and yet it also sounds nothing like what was out at the time it sounds way more advanced and it's not dated in in the same ways uh it's great vocally it's creative it's a really well-written song by brian with great lyrics by mike um i love it great job brian great job mike carl steve desper bruce sal everyone but dennis <laughs> everyone but dennis great job hal blaine and jimmy bond who hal called 007 for obvious reasons <laughs> and yeah yeah really good song and uh, before before we move on from it um do you, do you want to read that other record collective it from brian about how uh, well we're just talking about mike's voice yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right brian said there was a dreaminess about mike love's voice that you probably liked he put his heart into that and his reward was that everybody said look mike that's a great vocal and he agreed you know he has ego and he needs to self-acclaim. He needs to be recognized for his genius and his work. <laughs> <laughs> uh. 
That's great. <laughs> but when you say the melody is very beautiful, honey, you don't mean it. <laughs> I know you don't mean it was very beautiful. It wasn't that great a melody. And then the interviewer is like, no, I think that song was something <laughs> special, especially towards the end where the voices intertwine. And Brian just goes, right. In other words, he's saying it was more like a Rolling Stones track, the last time or something, or the track that made the vocals sound better. Like he... <laughs> What is he talking like about? Like he's unable to to take the praise. He just doesn't <laughs> understand why people think this is a good song. <laughs> oh, Brian. Oh, classic. Classic Brian. Um, so yeah, so anyway, I th- I, um, we'll move on to the next song, finally. Um, and the next one is Deirdre, which was recorded, the track was recorded March 21 at Gold Star. Again, there are a lot of Gold Star sessions this month. Um, and this is Bruce's kind of like first proper songwriting effort for the Beach Boys. Um, he it's it's credited to Bruce Johnston slash Brian Wilson, but it's basically a Bruce song. Um, he has, has got quite a few funny quotes about this. He said originally when he was you know being a bit nicer about the whole thing in '77. This is uh, for the Pet Sounds magazine when he was talking about his new solo album where he redid disc, um, Deirdre as like a, a disco thing. Um, I hate that version. <laughs> anyway, he said the original was uh, about 75% me and 25% Brian. And he said the lyric was like almost done and the music had been recorded, but the night before he had to sing it and do the lead vocal, he went over to Brian's house and we just finished the lyrics. Years later, uh, when Bruce didn't have to be so nice about uh, this in, in public, he uh, gave a revised account of this and he said, uh, I gave Brian 50% of the song, but it should have been 5%. He came up with two lines, that was it. He was suggesting things like, my friend Bob, he has a job. And I was saying, no, Brian. I was kind of disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. So, yeah, so, so I see Brian maybe wrote like a couple of couplets in this. I'm sure that like, baby one, two, three, now you're back with me thing. That sounds like a Brian line. And maybe like a couple more things, but it's pretty much a Bruce song. And I think I, I like the theory you had about this, where Bruce, um, you think Brian uh, Bruce just did this so he could have like a Brian Wilson co-writing credit on one of his songs for sort of. Oh, I'm sure that he he went to Brian. He did not have to no. ask Brian to contribute a few lines. No, he could I'm have done sure to he, anyone. He did this, <laughs> or he could have just finished it himself if it was really almost done. All right, so this is another track that they recorded at. Um, gold star and another track that was a beach boy recording their own song with carl wilson really helping out as a producer yeah this one more than a lot of the others carl is like really on it as the producer in this session like you don't think of deirdre as car production i mean it wasn't his arrangement but he was like his ears were like really tuned in for this and he's playing the brian role in the session very heavily yeah exactly um, so, so it's kind of like some Wrecking Crew people again. This is a very like mid-60s type track. More than any of those I think we've covered so far. It's, it sounds a lot like the sort of thing that would be done in like 1965. Bruce was playing the main piano. Uh, Larry Nectar was playing the tack piano. Ed Carter's there on a 12-string acoustic guitar. Al Casey on a 6-string acoustic guitar. Joe Osborne playing electric bass. Jimmy Bond playing upright bass. So we've got the two basses thing again. John Gurren on drums. Frank Cap on tambourine. And Daryl Dragon on vibraphone. quite a simple like mid-60s pop arrangement um 
I don't know what to say about Deirdre. I don't know how I feel about it because I'm. I think I'm. It's quite obvious by now that I'm not like the biggest Bruce fan as a songwriter. Um, <laughs> but you know, I really, I do like Deirdre. It's my favorite one of everything he did for the Beach Boys. It sounds like quite. I think Jocelyn made this observation that it's like quite songwriterly. There's some, you know, the way it kind of like circles round. It's got kind of like a. It's. It feels like a, a guy trying to write a song that, you know, it, I don't know how to explain it, but. It, it feels like a songwriting exercise for Bruce more than it is like something you was really, you know, he needed to do. That's the thing with Bruce. Like all of his songs, he doesn't write a lot of songs, but when he does, it feels like he he's sort of like a challenge to himself almost than it is like an artistic mm. expression. D, like Disney Girls, I think, stands up as the one that surpasses that because it was really like a personal thing for Bruce and he has something to say with it. But Others like Deirdre and Tears in the Morning. It's like he decides, you know, I want to write this type of song. So he, he does it. Um, <laughs> yeah, Disney Girls is like the one song that Bruce is still proud that he wrote. <laughs> everything he else should... he's just completely dismissed. Oh, and I write the songs he likes that one too, but he'll shit on everything else. Like, <laughs> Well, he makes fun of I write the songs in Beach Boys concerts. They always, or at least Mike does, and oh, yeah. Bruce plays into it <laughs> when they... And Mike goes, and now we'll do a, a medley of Barry Manilow's greatest hits. <laughs> yes, yeah, not not much to say about this. It's kind of a, a a fairly simple track, although Bruce had some arrangement arrangement um, assistance on this one. Yeah, from and, um, a guy from uh, is it Michelle Columbia or Michael Columbia? I'm not sure how I'm pronounce, supposed to pronounce his name. I don't know how to pronounce his name either, but he's a uh, he's an arranger that Bruce worked with, and and I think at the time Bruce said that they wrote the song together. I don't know how true that is, but I'm sure that he had quite a bit of input into the way it sounded. Well, I think that's because you know arrangers sometimes ended up getting songwriting credit in those days, um, so that's mm. kind of the way the reason he said that. But um, yeah, so he, he met this guy in Bruce said he met this guy in Paris when they were doing the UNICEF gala in 1967, and uh, Michael or Michelle, sorry if I'm getting that wrong, he conducted the orchestra for the uh, the gala, and uh, so Bruce kind of became friends with this guy. He's the sort of guy that Bruce would become friends with, you know, like a French arranger. That's very Bruce, um, and <laughs> and he kind of helped him out with the song. I think his contribution to the song wasn't the main track. He arranged the horns. Um, and the horn session, we don't have a date for it. Uh, I think it's like written November 30th is, is written down somewhere, but that'd be impossible because of like the, you know, there was like a reduction mix before that. So that could be right. Um, and we don't know who played on it, but, uh, according to the score sheets, which still survived, there's like three flutes, a trumpet, three trombones and French horns. And, uh, yeah, this is a really pretty horn arrangement. Um, I, I really love like the, the, the French horns on this and, the flutes have some pretty parts. The backing track on Phil Flows was like an unexpected highlight for me. I didn't expect to enjoy the Deirdre backing track quite as much as I did, but it's a real nice piece of work. Yeah, it's a very, a very mellow sounding track, especially with the horns voice solo. It's it's pretty nice. Yeah, I, I like I love the bass sound on this as well. This uh, it's it's just a well produced like good piece of sort of soft pop. Yeah, it's it's not super Beach Boysy. It doesn't have the the uh, creativity of something like "All I Want to Do" or or the anything like "Forever," but it's a it's a nice sounding piece of music. Yeah, I believe it was the um, liner notes for the the reissue where Brian was asked his opinion on Deirdre, and uh, Brian called it harmonic genius. So there you are, <laughs> from the man himself. <laughs> 
Um, I think Brian has called everyone he's ever worked with a genius <laughs> at some point, Ex- besides himself. Yeah, yeah. So um, the other thing, I mean, okay, so that's the track. It's it's kind of simple to talk about, but there's this uh, a cappella intro on it, which was become kind of famous in, in its own right because it was sampled on the 90s game uh, Earthbound on the Super Nintendo, which is such a like bizarre... I don't know. Like, how does that happen? But yeah, Deirdre is sampled as this spooky thing on in Earthbound, and because of that, it's it's uh, sort of rerouted some people to to discover this song that they wouldn't you know you know normally be interested in hearing a, a Beach Boys song from Sunflower. And uh, so, so Bruce basically recorded this acapella thing on his own as apparently as a demo for the group, and it's all Bruce singing it. It's like a, a seven part harmony. We'd just been like talking about it like the day before we had to record this to figure out what's going on. Um, and they did record like a version with the group with Asterix because um, it's mostly Bruce still, but Alan Bryan sang on it as well. But they didn't end up using that recording that they did in the studio with with the group. It was apparently Carl's suggestion to just go back to the demo that group, uh, Bruce recorded because it, you know, sounded better. So they ended up tacking Bruce's like little demo acapella thing on the front of the song. Um, and, you know, Earthbound got a sound effect in... in uh, 20 something years time <laughs> because of that uh there's there's this effect on it too i, I i'm sure it's a steve desper edition but it, it's this pitch wavering effect with this you know stereo spread and <coughs> it's my favorite part of the song i know that the it's just a demo and it's just a little harmony section for an intro but it's i like it better i think it's the best part of the song it's very spooky compared to what follows <laughs> yeah Yes, yeah, so, so the vocals for this, um, again, it's, it's another one of these songs where we're not completely sure when they worked on the vocals, but there was, um, we have a date for re- the reduction mix, bouncing it down to a second generation to prepare for the vocals, was done August 18th, 1969 at Capitol Studio, so that's quite a lot, you know, later in the year that they were working on this. Um, mm-hmm. And the, presumably Brian's lyrical contribution was like later on in the year as well, sometimes sort of like... August, September, October is when they did the vocals in this. Um, and again, Dennis also doesn't sing on this song. Dennis, I don't think he's on like any of the Bruce things uh, Bruce did for the Beach Boys. Like he's, he's not on Near As Far Away Place, obviously. He's not on Bluebirds. He's not on this, Tears, Disney oh, Girls. Wow, any of them. She Believes in Love Again because mm. he was, you know, for obvious reasons. <laughs> um, well, that's not saying much. Bruce doesn't have that many songs. Oh, he's not on Bluebirds Over the Mountain, is he? No, he's not. Even though Bruce and Dennis were buddies, you know. Interesting. So, yeah, so this this point, he, Bruce had to do the lead vocal, so he went over to Brian's house. He got Brian to write, my friend Bob, he has a job, and then they did the vocals. And Brian, again, is, does actually sing on this one. And uh, Brian sounds really good on this song again. Now, Brian, I think Brian just adds that special sort of Beach Boys touch wherever he decides to blesses the song with his voice uh, he has a he's a great little like <laughs> moment on his own in the middle of like there's this uh, little instrumental break where brian's on his own he goes like he has like this little woo-hoo. <laughs> yeah i like that part yeah it's great 
Most of these vocals are just Brian, Bruce, Alan, Mike, so it seems as if Carl was not involved at first, or at least not Maybe he was at just that session. Producing from the booth or something like that. Yeah, something like that. But then there are some other parts throughout the song where Carl sings with uh, with Bruce. Yeah, not much to say about this song. Me neither. Yeah, it's it's quite a light song. It's um it's it is my favorite thing Bruce did for the Beach Boys, but it's just because it's a nice thing to listen to. There's not like a lot to say about it, but it's a it's a pleasing to the ear song. It sounds good. Yeah. It sound yeah. It sounds good. Um, I just I was just going through some things um, Al said about the Sunflower songs in in ESQ earlier, and when he gets to Deirdre, he's like, "Oh, that's another very personal song," and I'm like, "What? <laughs> Excuse me? Is it? <laughs> I don't think Bruce would say that it is." You know. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if this is about anyone. I mean, I really don't know much about Bruce's personal life. I don't know if anyone does. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but I don't, I don't see, I don't see the personal song angle to this. No, he's uh, there's the line about having a bath, and it's kind of like it's <laughs> it's quite deliberately sort of like saccharine, and 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 Bruce yeah. Bruce dismissed it later because of that. He thought, you know, this this he went too far in that direction, and he decided to to discofy it to to rectify that and make it funky. I don't even like Deirdre. I, I rewrote it and made it a lot funkier. It's it's too saccharine. I was just experimenting with those songs that I, I think now I wouldn't put them in. I wouldn't even cut them like that mm-hmm. if I were cutting them now. And I, I wish I never had recorded them with the group. I don't think it helped the group at all. <laughs> I mean, the reason Bruce said he didn't do more on Beach Boys albums is, you know, he always thought if he puts a song in, that's one less space for a Brian Wilson song where there could be. But uh, for the Sunflower album, I guess he was kind of like feeling him he wanted to stretch out and do some songwriting and um he later said that he didn't think his songs belonged you know for the group and i don't know i think this you know that this does you know the beach boys vocals to elevate the song a lot i think tears in the morning is the one that feels really out of place i think deirdre to a lesser extent but uh no i thought i think it fits fine yeah, he's he said that that his songs don't fit the group because they're too smooth and wimpy. Yeah, in his own words. Yeah, but but like we said, I mean, Sunflower was the time. If there's any time to do it, that was the time when Brian really was not contributing much to the band. Exactly. Uh, yeah. This song was started in the studio right before Brian came in with Breakaway. We're kind of going a little out of order here, so, uh, you know, if if there's any time for Bruce to step up as one of the songwriters in the Beach Boys, it's when. Everyone was kind of doing it and getting their own songs. I guess not Carl yet, but he was, like we said, kind of a unifying force in all of this stuff happening. Um, so, so that's those three songs, and all of those three ended up being on Sunflower. Um, and Got to Do the Woman as well, which we already talked about, because that was kind of like recorded and, and finished in, in the early part of 69, and it's a bit more simple as a recording. Um so, so they ended up being carried forward, but at this point they weren't, you know, for what became Sunflower. For a long time, these were considered like part of the Capital sessions, um, and it's only later that they, you know, they realized they needed some stronger material after after music got rejected. Um, jumping ahead a bit, and they went back and kind of stole these songs. It's Sunflower is is kind of this odd fusion of like two different albums in the end that you, you know, we 
most people wouldn't really think about because they've just known it as that for for decades. But it, it's the first time a Beach Boys album's really been put together like this. Dennis went back to record some more stuff for the Beach Boys on July 8th, the Gold Star. And uh, these are he did two songs on this day. It was Slip On Through and I'm Going Your Way. Slip On Through is another collaboration with Greg, with, uh, Greg Jacobson. I'm Going Your Way, I think, was probably another Dennis Jacobson co-write. Um, but that's, you know, it wasn't published at the time, so that credit was probably lost to time. And these tracks are really cool. Um, Dennis was... Uh, Okay, so the personnel for them, Slip On Through, was Dennis producing from the booth, Bruce was playing tap piano, Mike Deasy, session guy, was playing lead guitar with like a volume pedal, it's a sort of like psych, um, country-ish type thing, I don't know. Um, Ed Carter was playing electric guitar, Carl's also playing electric guitar, so I was doing a sort of like barely audible rhythm guitar part, Carl playing on drums. And then we're not quite sure who's playing the other piano and the bass, but it's probably Don Randy and Joe Osborne. And then they added like a cowbell and a tambourine to this. And this isn't the version that's on, Flun on uh, Sunflower. This is an early track that was unused. It's a lot bigger sounding, and I think a part of that is just Heavier. how Blaine's drums. Yeah, he's he keeps that hi hat somewhat open, and he's he's drumming like he did on um, some of his other work around this era, not with the Beach Boys. Uh, and it's really cool. It's it's a really like slow kind of funky track and very different to what would be produced later on. Yeah, it's like the, the one that was done for Sunflower was a lot like more slick, I guess, is the way you could describe it. This one's like much more of a sort of like heavy rocker type thing. Um, yeah. The, the bass is really good on this. I think, I mean, I think it's Osborne because it sounds like his, his bass tone on, on the other stuff at this time. Um, it's, it's a lot kind of like funkier than the final one. And getting those guitars as well, it's very guitar driven. It sounds a lot like, you know, it's, it sounds like other stuff that was that was happening in, in the rock world in 1969, much more than any of Brian's music would. And, you know, it, it, yeah. it kind of reminds me of the sort of thing Dennis would record like in the late 70s almost. It's, it's like kind of bambooish in a way. Yeah, it's, it's just way heavier. I really, really like. Uh, the drumming on this, and then we have um, a week later, they dubbed it down to a second generation tape and uh, overdubbed a horn arrangement as well as a vibra slap. I like the Viper Slap, I like the horns. Um, but yeah, they, they um, did like another reduction mix awaiting um, like vocals, but they didn't end up adding vocals to this track. For whatever reason, Dennis ended up going back to the drawing board and recording the one that we all know on Sunflower. But uh, it's it's nice, it's a good track. It's um, an interesting little sort of excursion. And um, 
Yeah. So, so Dennis did one of the song at these sessions, um, also on July 8th. He recorded this thing called I'm Going Your Way, uh, which they switched over the lineup a little bit for this. Dennis was playing the tack piano. Bruce went up to the booth to help produce it. And uh, Carl actually played organ on some early takes, but he later sat out of uh, the ones they ended up using. And uh, this is a, this is a kind of a cool song. It's uh, simple. It didn't get further than a lead vocal on it, but it's um, also known as California Slide on the bootlegs. Um, I don't know what there is to say about the song. It's it, it's sort of it's one that I wish he continued working on. But. A lot of people connect this to the whole Manson saga. Yeah, it's it's kind of like a hitchhiker type thing. Because he met one of the Manson girls because she was a hitchhiker, and this is sort of about him picking up a girl. <laughs> yeah. Um, some people speculate that it didn't get released because of that connection, but I'm not I'm not too sure if that's true or if it was just Dennis abandoning yet another one of his songs in favor of other tracks he was working on. Well, I mean, the Sharon Tate murder did happen like a month after this was recorded, so that would yeah. make sense. That if would make if sense. he... I mean, I'm sure Dennis picked up a ton of hitchhiking women in his time, but if he really was writing this in connection to that specific event, then I probably would have you know shelved the song as well yeah yeah that makes sense i mean interestingly he was thinking about bringing this back in like the pacific ocean blue era i think there's like one tape box has like a lyric um set of lyrics for california slide that are like updated or something like that um hmm. but i don't think he recorded it um but yeah he did a lead vocal on this one on like slip on through obviously i, th- I think slip on through maybe like the lyrics weren't finished or it was gonna be more of a beach boys vocal arrangement i'm not really sure what the plan was but he evidently felt like he could do a lead vocal on this song but not the other one um so he did kind of a kind of a scratch vocal while somebody's also playing a tambourine at the same time um this one was released on the feel flows box set with like this sort of like 90s grunge distortion on the vocal for some reason i don't know why it's uh, not a very good vocal dennis is kind of like you know he's struggling with the range a little bit um so he dubbed it down on july 14th when he did some more stuff on slip on through he dubbed this track down again and uh, slowed it down a little bit which made it easier to sing it's like by a semitone or something and then he did like a proper double track lead vocal which uh, th- this this is the one that was released on the uh, the now buried i'm going your way ep that was came out in 2019 um yeah this is a great like it's a really good lead vocal from dennis it's a really hard-hitting track it's got a nice bridge um and then it's got a, a fade out this kind of like a raunchy fade out where he's uh He's, he gets quite excited that it was muted in the official release for understandable reasons, but it is out there and you can hear Dennis's... Uh, we'll, we'll just play it. Yeah, we'll just play it. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to repeat the words he sings. And it, it's, it's kind of hard to imagine this thing being on a Beach Boys album. It really does sound more like the sort of thing he, he was doing in the late 70s. Um, like sort of time for bed type sort of thing. 
uh, yeah, it would have been nice to hear this finished off with some backing vocals or something, but pretty cool outtake as it stands and slip on through is going to go through a bit of a change. And one thing to mention on slip on through, I guess we'll talk about this on the second one, but the, um, the way that the rhythm is done is pretty cool. Cause the, the, the snare emphasizes the upbeats of two and four rather than the, the downbeat. So you get kind of turned around when you first hear it. Oh yeah. And when it goes into the chorus, you kind of get this, this feeling like you've skipped a beat or something. Yeah. Like but the first no, it's just a, a syncopated sort of straightforward to the final one. Yeah, it's like exactly. A, it's, it's a lot easier to follow. So the next song that the Beach Boys recorded was a second version of Cotton Fields, which they had done on their 2020 album, um, based on a rewrite that Al Jardine had done of the song. And Al wasn't too happy with that version. He thought that it didn't have the potential or didn't live up to the potential that he thought it had. And so without Brian, the rest of the Beach Boys went and recorded this new version. But let's go back to that first one for a second. Yeah, so originally Brian did the arrangement of the first one on 2020. He produced it kind of without sort of overseeing, but it was mostly Brian's thing. I sort of just brought him the song and like let him do whatever he wanted with it. And uh, that, that track, we talked about it a little bit last time. Uh, that was just Brian on piano, Hal Blames on drums, um, Larowitz on bass, Carl and Ed Carter playing acoustic guitars, and Alvis Govo was on a pedal steel guitar so it kind of had like sort of a country-ish kind of flavor to it and there's some trumpeters as well and then on top of that both Vescovo and Al Jardine played some banjo parts and there was a Fender Road so it was kind of like a sleepy kind of like sort of laid back in the vein of um, Brian's other 68 stuff it was it was folky and atmospheric it was kind of like trapped somewhere between like the sort of like folky laid back friends type thing that he was into at the time and like an up-tempo pop hit and I think what Al said about it is he thought it was just weird like he thought it was kind of stiff and he wasn't happy with the way it came out All I can tell you is briefly that Brian wanted to do it real bad so we went into the studio and did his version um, in Capitol Records at Capitol Tower in Hollywood one of the last sessions we did there mm. it was the last one it was the last session. That was the last session of the last album. Oh, yeah. How did the other one come about? Then? Was that a, a reproduction? That's because I got bugged because I didn't like the way it turned out, and Brian wouldn't, uh, you know, didn't feel like uh, doing any more on it. He said, "Oh, it's perfect the way it is." I said, "That's not how I had in mind. What I had in mind." And, and, uh, he wanted to do more of a country, you know, version. You know. Without any punch, and so I wanted to put some punch into it, so as it turned out, he wouldn't corroborate with me on the second version, so I just went ahead and did it myself. It was released as a single, like the 2020 version, in some overseas places like in Holland and India, back with Time to Get Alone, so it was getting some sort of airplay, um, and I think that kind of inspired Al's like wanting to go back and make a, like, a single out of it the way he wanted to do it. Um, but he waited quite a while to do it. You know, 2020 came out in February. It was recorded in in like the end of November. And then he waited until August 1969 to go and record this new version. And it also occurred to me when I was thinking about that, that between Cell Plane Song and Loop-de-Loop, 
being recorded was nine months and between um, Cottonfields and the remake being recorded was nine months. So I think Al, maybe it's a thing that Al needs like a nine month full pregnancy with an idea before he records something. I don't know. <laughs> so, so, so anyway, we're at August 69 on August 15th. They went a sunset sound and Al said uh, Dennis was like a big part of encouraging him to do this as well. Uh, Dennis really wanted to to do this and was behind kind of getting everyone into the project, even though um, Dennis didn't end up singing on it, but he played the drums on it. Um, so yeah, so they went to Sunset Sound. Al is the, uh, kind of is the producer. Um, and uh, he, there's a quote somewhere that I wish I had that, where I, th- I think he said that like Al described himself as not really being a producer, but he knew the way it should sound. And like, he knows the formula and there are, there are certain things that if you do, you'll get a hit. And he did. And it's, it's, it's kind of interesting that Al, you know, he managed to pull that off a few times. Like he had Cottonfields, Lady Linda, come go with me. Like if Al Jardine like wants to make a hit, he kind of manages to do it against the odds. It's a, it's a strange talent that he has when he puts his mind to it. Um, so yeah, we've got this new track. And it was mostly the touring band played on this. It was Alan Carl playing acoustic guitars, um, Daryl Dragon playing piano, Bruce on organ, Ed Carter on bass, uh, Dennis Wilson on drums, uh, with some the, some of the touring band horn people as well. There are a couple of trumpets and saxophones, and Frank Cap, uh, um, he's you know wrecking crew guy. He played castanets and tambourine on this. Um, and there was also Red Rhodes as well, who played a steel guitar. He's, you know, Red Rhodes is a steel guitar player that gets everywhere. Um, and Al kind of said he regretted the country sort of influence on this. He said it was like a bit too much. And he said that Stars and Stripes would worked out quite well as a Beach Boys country thing, though, uh, when he was talking about that in the recent past. Um, his mind, incredible. But um, yeah, so it's it wasn't like... There was a steel guitar on Brian's version, but it was a lot more subtle. This one's like a lot more of an overtly country rocker type thing. Yeah, and then they, on top of that, they added like another 12 string guitar which was played by someone called Dave um don't know who that Dave was I don't know if it's a typo or a miswrite um Ed Carter added some more uh, lead guitar parts and there's some extra like drum fills added um so yeah so what, what do you think of this version I I think I expressed this in our 2020 episode but I like this version more than the version on the album I think that this is an improvement despite the fact that uh, it doesn't involve Brian and it's the rest of the band. I think that they did a better job with this one, or at least that I prefer it more. I like the energetic feel to the song. I don't feel like anything's anything within the arrangement is at odds. Yeah, yeah, because that was the thing we talked about with the first one. Is it's kind of like a contradiction in the way, like it's it's not really sure which direction it wants to fully commit to. Whereas this one, it's like a real straightforward like like rock song with. You know, Dennis is playing it the way he play live, which he rarely ever gets to do in the studio. But here he's like just smashing like the cymbals and brings loads of energy to it, and it and it, it's quite straightforward. Like you know, there's not a lot of intricacy to it. It's just about playing it the way that the Beach Boys would do a song, pretty much live, and just like get people on their feet and 
it's you know the, the live act was always quite a different thing than the studio act and al wanted to sort of bring some of that energy into into like a studio cut on this one yeah and and um let's talk about the vocals here for a second so the vocals on this track are al carl bruce and mike covering it all the parts brian is not on this yeah it's very minimal in terms of beach boys but the ba- the vocals in this are really good i think that they're definitely better than the, the 2021 yeah i guess bruce would have been responsible for a lot of this arrangement mm. but the um the harmony breakdown especially which is just the voices doing what brian's piano had done on on his version oh that's yeah that's great I don't think the original lead vocal was that great. Like he was kind of straining it, and and this one, it, it's sort of. I think it's one of yeah. I think it's one of his best. It's, it's like sort of clear voiced, and and he he's just doing what Al does best. Um, Mike's bass vocals really really great. All the group vocals are great and just full of energy. Um, it's just good. It's it's simple and it's clearly like a better thing to be a single than the original would have been. It, so, so they did the vocals with Wally Hyder sometime, probably in August or September, we don't have a date for that. And they added some more instruments there as well, including a roxichord, uh, which you can hear in the intro a bit, another acoustic guitar, and there's a jaw harp as well, which I think S- Steve Desper might have said that Al did, but I'm, I'm not sure about that. So that's bouncing away and gives <laughs> it sort of more of a country thing. And then Al took it to the Capitol Tower at the end of September, um, slash 1st of October to mix it down for a single he just mixed it in mono he didn't get a stereo mix until um the hawthorne ca comp in, in 2001 but um yeah he had this idea that this kind of unusual little idea to have um little matt jardine doing like a sort of count into it which he edited onto the single mixes that he did and that didn't end up getting used he kind of like changed his mind as he tends to do but um for the feel flows box set he wanted to put that back in there. So that's what that is. It's just, I'm not sure where it came from, that idea. It's kind of cute. It's a little strange, but it sounds a lot like um, the start of uh, The Trader with um, Justin or Jonah, I can't remember which one of Carl's kids it is, doing a little high. It's, that's, that's, that's fun, I guess. <laughs> one, two, three. Three. Really, it's strange how long it took for it to get released. It wasn't until after Add Some Music came out, like skipping forward a lot. It's 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 a, it's a weird one that they didn't put it out like after they recorded it. Yeah, mm. and it came out on Capitol as well. Even though they, you know, Breakaway is often thought of as kind of like the the end of the Capitol thing. They still owe them one more single, which were um. So this is kind of like the final Capitol effort, I guess. And it it was going to be on the last Capitol album rather than rather than Sunflower. So I think it kind of gets thought of as in separately to a lot of this stuff because it did actually get released on a different label. Um, but it obviously, it ended up being put on the uh, UK version of Sunflower as well instead of Slip On Through. That's right, yeah. They couldn't put it on the US version, but 
for some reason it opens some flower in the UK and I think in other in other territories as well I'm not up to speed with all that but yeah me neither um, it is a great track and I just really like it a lot yeah. not much more to say yeah not much more to say good stuff um, but yeah so so that's another thing of um, uh, I'll sort of liken this as one of the one of the first examples of them having to do like a big thing without Brian we know we know that that's not quite the case I mean it's we've had a few examples of that but it does segue kind of into the next part of all this which is like what what's Brian up to at this point like where's Brian because they released Breakaway in May and since then he's not really been involved in any Beach Boys related things apart from you know his his press conference uh, where he announced that they were going bankrupt um, allegedly to sabotage a deal that they were setting up with Dutch Gramophone um, so yeah let's catch up with Brian <laughs> So while the other Beach Boys were trying to get some material together for Capital, Brian started his own little side project of doing a poetry album with Stevie Kolonich, but we're going to talk about that in more detail next time. In the meantime, Murray did try to make another attempt at sort of connecting with Brian and getting him to write again, uh, this time less directly. He and Nick Grillo, the Beach Boys' manager at the time, got Brian together with Rick Henn, who was the drummer and lead singer of the Sunrays, and together the two of them wrote Soulful Old Man Sunshine. This was a whole thing of um, Murray was kind of concerned about Brian at the time. He was going through a rough period, probably in large part because of Murray. Um, but, you know, it, it, Murray's way of showing concern was to try and get Brian writing again. And him and Nick Grello sort of concocted this scheme where they thought Rick Henn might be the guy who could get Brian sort of out of his slump. So they sort of like, they brought Rick, Rick over to the office and gave him like a talk and then sent him over to Brian's um, after, you know, calling Brian about it. And uh, they did like, they wrote this song together. Uh, Rick brought like a little tape recorder around and kind of taped them writing the song. And there's a tiny bit of that was released on the Endless Harmony soundtrack and it's it's really cool. It was uh, Rick playing the piano and Brian singing. So I think with this song, like Rick kind of came up with most of the sort of like the chords of it and the, the sort of feel of it, while Brian would have been mostly like melody and lyrics. But I, I don't know, without hearing the tape, we're not really sure who did what. But anyway, the point is they get a really good song out of it. Um, really sort of upbeat, bouncy. Um, it's a really nice song. Um, and then the next thing, um, actually, you know what? That, well, before we move on, I really want to talk about how like Brian was clearly hungry when he wrote this song because like the lyrics, the, <laughs> it's 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 kind of a love song, but he's it's it's also like she looks so fresh and sweet, she looks so tender and like. It it sounds like Brian really wanted a sandwich while he was he was coming up with lyrics. <laughs> and she looks so healthy. I feel so wealthy. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the words on this one are a little off, especially the 
old man shine your love on me oh yeah that sounds yeah that sounds like they did not think about what they were writing when they put that line in there <laughs> then basically um murray like called brian up and said look we're gonna record it he booked a session at sunset sound uh, to do this thing and rick had also written a song for the honeys at this point called let's take a holiday so they went to record both of those songs together and this was august 29th um at sunset and brian just didn't show up for the session he just didn't turn up um, and they apparently, they must have prepared for that because Rick and, uh, Don Ralke, who was kind of a long-standing, like, Rick collaborator slash sort of mentor, they did the, like, wrote the arrangement for the track. Um, and they kind of just went in and cut it without Brian, um, and Murray kind of, like, organized this whole thing. Um, so the musicians on this thing were, like, kind of some usual names, but also a lot of people that you know wouldn't usually on be on a beach boys session it's kind of like murray and ricks um i think more of their sort of crew jim helms on guitar jerry cole on guitar and ray paulman on bass they're obviously familiar a guy called washington rocker on drums uh, mitchell peters on timpani alan estes on vibraphone which isn't a very uh, beach boysy sorry not vibraphone a uh, xylophone um instead of a marimba which isn't a very beach boysy typical thing there's a harp on there and then there's like some flutes and trumpets and trombones and French horns. Um, so yeah, Rick, Rick's talked quite a lot about the song like over the years. He's done quite a few interviews and like gone into a lot of detail about the making of it. And he said that um, the way it came out at this session, it was kind of a struggle because he wanted like the sort of like bouncy rock shuffle thing. I'm imagining sort of like an Aren't You Glad type sort of song. But he said that the musicians that Murray hired were kind of like weren't really in tune with that and they were have more of a jazz background and the the drummer especially kept kind of going at the sort of like jazzy swing feel and couldn't really get what rick wanted and because of that it kind of dragged the whole track into this sort of like vegas swing type thing um which he didn't want uh, but rick you know he, he said that he didn't want to kick the drummer out and take his place even though he could have he's a drummer but so he sort of just like sat back and and hope for the best but um yeah this is kind of a weird story because you know you've got people like jerry cole and ray pullman they were used to playing with the wrecking crew on this sort of thing um but basically the result is that they have this sort of like very atypical for the beach boys swing type jazz track um which is cool but it's it's apparently not what they wanted Yeah, so, so they have this track that Brian wasn't there for. Um, Don Rocky also gets a writer's credit on this. I'm not sure what for. I don't know if that's just because he helped with the arrangement um, or if he was actually like wrote part of the music. That's all kind of vague. We only know about that because his name showed up on the publishing. Um, there was another session at Sunset Sound on September 5th where Ray Pullman added this kind of like crunchy, sort of half-fuzzed out six-string uh, six bass on top of his original bass part. And there's some cool stuff in this that got kind of buried in um, the mix that originally came out, like that that fuzzy bass and there's like a fuzzy guitar going all over the place. It's it's quite interesting. Um, so yeah, this, this was done like at the end of August, early September, but then they didn't do anything with it for the Beach Boys for quite a long time. It was um, dormant for a while and it wasn't until November 
where they got around to doing vocals at Brian's home studio. So this is kind of jumping forward into the Sunflower era. So I, I guess we'll talk a little bit about what the Honeys were doing at this point in that, in that other song. Um, so these are like the last things the Honeys did in the 60s and they didn't get released at the time. I can't even remember like where they surfaced or when. Uh, yeah, they came out on, on a Capitol compilation in the oh, okay in the 90s. Right. Or it, I t- Holiday didn't come out until 2001. I think I Know You're Gonna Be Alright is still unreleased. Yeah, yeah. I've heard like a sort of low quality bootleg sounding type thing. I couldn't tell you what that song sounds like, but I, I quite like Holiday and I think it's kind of worth talking about a bit because it was the same time as self load Month sunshine so that gives it like like a like a tiny beach boys connection um it's a yeah all the all these songs are nice it's too bad that they didn't come out as a single for whatever reason this and come to me i really like yeah everyone yeah that one's I like, great i like come to me yeah let's take a holiday it's, it's a rick hand song and it's got a very sort of pretty arrangement it's um like it's it's just a it's just a pretty song apart from this this one part where it gets like the vocal gets kind of fast and there's some sort of dodgy lyrics about like lollipops and lasers or something and and it, it, it kind of falls apart there but it's it's otherwise just a it's nice and it's it's a shame that they didn't release this as a single and I, are these are the last things the honeys ever did together before ginger went off to um you know have her own career as uh, um and like in las vegas and then eventually spring form so they're kind of notable for that uh, but brian after seemingly sort of being behind like a spring revival type thing, sorry, sorry, a Honey's revival in late 68, he just, you know, he wasn't involved in doing these songs. Yeah, that's that. That's that. That's a, that's a thing. That's that indeed. Um, so let's talk about the Soulful Old Man Sunshine vocals. Yeah. So okay. they did this song initially without Brian. Uh, Brian was not involved with the track, similarly to... You know, a lot of these songs, Caught Fields, All I Want to Do, Deirdre. And he also was not involved with the vocals initially. So this was Rick Hen working with the group, or at least working with Bruce, Carl, Al, and Mike. <coughs> and so the harmonies, the the vocals that you hear on the new Feel Flows mix are these, are these vocals, uh, which were just done by the five of them. I think pretty much essentially arranged by Rick Hen. Yeah, I mean, the way he's talked about this is, um, I mean, just because of some context, this is like in, we have some dates from Desper's studio journal. Um, this was like November 6th, November 9th, and then three other dates that we don't know were apparently when they did some vocal sessions. So this is like right in the thick of when they were working on what became Sunflower. Um, and the way Rick described it is he kind of like wrote out all the parts, like he scored it on paper like he would like a track. Um which is obviously very different from the way Brian would do this. I, I think he mm-hmm. probably worked out like a lot of these vocal parts at the piano with Brian, but he's ultimately the one who like went and wrote the arrangement. Um, and then Rick said he was kind of like sitting around the piano trying to teach it to the Beach Boys, and they were kind of like going, "Oh no, that's that's too difficult." But then eventually he managed to sort of get them interested by like sort of dishing out parts and and getting them to hear what it would sound like, and they, you know, got some interest together in in doing it. Um, so the first thing he wanted to do though was get like a lead vocal down from Carl 
and um, he said, you know, he's him. Despers remembered the same thing as well. That this is kind of difficult because um, because of like the sort of swingy feel of the track. Mike walked in at some point with some of the other Beach Boys, and while Carl was singing it, Mike would kind of like turn his collar up and do like a sort of like Vegas lounge singer impression, and he's shuffling across the floor, and Carl would like break up laughing every time, and it took them a long time to get a good vocal down. Um, <laughs> but you know, Carl did do like a complete lead vocal on this. Um, and then that's when the other Beach Boys, minus Brian, tried doing some backing vocals. Like in the Feel Flows box set, they copy-pasted them a few times and like created that artificial intro to make it sound a little bit more finished, but they didn't get very far with those group stuff before they... You know, if you listen to that one on the Feel Flows box set, it's kind of like the vocals sound not that great, a little bit kind of off. Um, like they're not really on the Ray game. But then at some point after that, they went back to try it again from scratch. Uh, this time with Brian, and this like sort of final tape, the multi-track is gone. We've just got the mix from it. And um, yeah, but Brian was kind of like, like on something like All I Want to Do. Somebody else recorded a song and then eventually he was brought, got interested enough to go and work on it. So um, yeah. And there's a harpsichord that was added at this point as well. They added like a tambourine and a harpsichord to the track. Um, I like hearing a harpsichord. You don't get a lot of them in late period Beach Boys. Yeah, um, and with Brian in the vocal arrangement, and this is now the version that was released before on the Endless Harmony soundtrack, it sounds a lot better. His lot voice better. just really adds a lot. And also, one thing to mention is that intro, which oh, they recorded yeah. with apparently all the Beach Boys and Rick Hen singing together. So there's seven harmonies on there. That is a great... It's a hook to the song. That's an incredible sort of acapella intro thing. Yeah, so this song I feel really just comes alive with Brian's voice in the background. And also, one thing I was talking about earlier with Will is this is one of Carl's best sounding lead vocals. He oh, really yeah. puts his all into this performance and I know he has the the Shunshine flub which <laughs> prevented the song from coming out on the on the 1993 box set. But man, he he sounds great. All the Beach Boys sound great. Yeah, I think the group on this just sounds like incredible. Like it's maybe the best they sounded in the whole sort of Sunflower era, particularly Brian. Um, they like really, eventually when they finally got into it, they really kind of like brought the Ray game and um, yeah, it's a, it's just a, it's a really good sounding track. And it's, Rick kind of criticized his own work later on. He said that, you know, he was young, he was, he was like, he was like a dream come true to work with the Beach Boys. We really wanted to try and like kind of rise to the occasion and he wrote this really sort of busy vocal arrangement and he criticized it for being kind of too busy and you know he he later on he wouldn't have made the same things mm -hmm. um but i i like it because of that like in the start when you get past the acapella intro and mike comes in and then carl and then 
and then Rick and Brian and everyone's kind of like doing all these different sort of scat parts over the top of each other and it's all like finger popping and and it's like it's a little hard to follow one thing because it's so busy I think it's just like sort of overwhelming in a really good way yeah and I, it doesn't all hit you at once I like the way it builds mm, yeah as well and Brian sounds so like happy and positive when he's singing his parts like that do, yeah do, do. like he's really going for it I, th- I, I think he just sounds so yeah. great on this he does sound great, and you can hear that they were kind of going for something like this in the way they sing it on the demo. I mean, they're both kind of uh, ch- singing different parts together, Brian and Rick. Yeah. But, um, yeah, great sounding track. And eventually, you know, they just kind of got sidetracked. They were working on other material. Um, with the whole song kind of had this weird political situation behind it and they didn't end up finishing it but I think it sounds finished enough as it is really pretty much yeah I mean there's the whole the reason it sort of fell apart was um, they, they kind of like I think they kind of dragged the feet a little bit because it was like a Rick Ken slash Murray project like they didn't want to do something that Murray was forcing on them and they were a little yeah. less interested because it was an outsider and they you know and Rick was like he came from a background of like working very sort of formally and professionally in a studio so when the beach boys are in brian's home studio and they're kind of like taking the time and and sort of messing around eventually he sort of like blew his fuse and was like look can we just like stop messing around and finish this thing one day and that kind of like you know they they weren't used to hearing that from somebody and he, he sort of realized that he made a mistake immediately but from there it kind of just fell apart and they didn't want to work on it anymore um so that's the reason it didn't get like quote unquote finished but um yeah basically Carl did do like a new lead vocal he had like one that you hear on the feel flows box but on this final tape I guess he tried to do another one that wasn't finished and that's where the sunshine part in the bridge comes from that Carl later didn't want uh, to be used so it wasn't considered finished at the time but you know uh, Rick eventually with Dennis Dragon in 1992 I think um, spliced together like the edit that came out on the Endless Harmony soundtrack which was two different mixes that he brought home from the sessions sort of intercut back and forth so you get like the group parts and then you get Carl's lead vocal on the verses and uh, it kind of sounds really weird in parts and that's because Despo was kind of experimenting with with this thing called the Orban Stereo Synthesizer which is like a device that you know to sort of make a mono thing sound like it's in stereo and it you know it kind of like it's kind of like rechanneled stereo, but like a little bit more complicated. And he basically put that on like basically a mono mix of those parts, um, just as a test. And it wasn't supposed to be heard, but that's all Rick had to work with. So when they spliced it together to get Carl's vocal in those sections, that's why it flips back and forth between this sort of like weird, um, sounding pseudo stereo thing where it's like, it's in a swimming pool. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, good description. But uh, great song. I would have loved to see it on Sunflower. Oh, or definitely. Some Beach Boys album. Yeah, it's so perfect for an just... album called Sunflower. I know. It's it's bright and it's bouncy and it's upbeat. And you have Carl delivering a great vocal. You have all the Beach Boys singing great in the, in the background. I mean, but this is just this band. They just create great music and just kind of brush it aside like it's nothing. Yeah, they have like an unusual sort of warped standard for what they decide to use and don't use compared to most other people. Most people would realize that they had something really special here, but for the Beach Boys, this is just another song, you know, and they could take it or leave it. Um, and they were, I think, thinking about using it at some point. There's like a 1970 sort of era list of things that I think were like a sort of follow-up to Sunflower track list that they wrote up, including like things like Till mm-hmm. I Die and stuff and 
Old Man Sunshine was written on there, so he wasn't completely out of their minds, and they was the thought that maybe they would go back and finish this thing, but it wasn't a priority, I think, because of that whole Murray Association. Yeah, that's too bad. Yeah, it's too bad. This is a great song, and it's a it's a real sort of lost classic. Um, so th- that kind of brings us into, um, I guess, the, the real Sunflower era. We've already jumped into it a little bit here, but from here on, there was kind of like, I'm not sure when they started looking for a deal with... Um, Warner Reprise but there was kind of like talks in the air of signing to them instead after the Dutch gramophone thing fell through their capital contract was over now and it kind of like gave them a fresh start and oddly after Brian was so sort of beaten down by the whole Sea of Tunes thing at some point he kind of like got a new sort of lease on life and for a while he you know was doing quite well personally and became interested in in being a Beach Boy and making Beach Boys music again, and there's kind of like a burst of creativity. Yeah, it's been said that the that the new record deal kind of revitalized his creativity, and he sort of got really excited about making Beach Boys music again, and started writing and recording in the same capacity that he once did. And then we get this awesome sunflower period that we're going to talk about in the next two episodes, where we have Brian creating some great music in the studio alongside all the other Beach Boys in what is probably their most collaborative period just as a full group with all six all six of them, really. Yeah, so, so yeah, so this has been like Sunflower 0.5 and next time is going to be like the real Sunflower Part 1. <laughs> if you can think of it that way. Um, exactly. See you when we talk about Sunflower, which we've been doing, but we're going <laughs> to do it for real. <laughs> Yes. Goodbye, I think. (laughs) Signing off. Will Carrera and John Brody, thank you guys. Great work as always. We'll be back with them next month, continuing the Sunflower Sessions. We'll also discuss the Stephen Kalinich and Brian Wilson album, as they alluded to. But that's going to do it for this month. Thank you guys for tuning in. I appreciate you more than you know. Thank you for going on this journey with me. Love and mercy to you and your friends tonight. Sail on, sailors.
In that so full of men sunshine. Uh, the, the electric star, <laughs> the thing I always think of when I hear this instrument is if you've ever listened, if you've ever played Sonic Adventure, um, that, that like from the Dreamcast. With, like there's uh, the beach level. There's a lot of electric guitar on on the soundtrack of that that game for some um, for some reason. I don't know where that choice came from, but I always think of all I want to do when I when I hear that, and I always think of Sonic Adventure when I hear all I want to do. Yeah! 